0: This is ESPN Crick Info.
1: Bowl at Boykes Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Bowl at Boykes. This is ESPN Crick Info. Three Ashes tests down, two more to go. England are back on top 2-1. And joining us is Jeffrey Boycott. And Jeffrey, Ian Bell said just after the third test that you had told him what an awful shot he had played in the first innings. So let's say that you played a role too in England, winning the, se- the third I'd test.
0: I'd like to. I wish I had, but I didn't. No, I like Ian Bell. So he asked me something and I told him the truth.
1: Must be good to see him back in the runs.
0: Well, he's always eye-catching. He's very pleasing on the eye because he's got wonderful talent. But uh, as I told him, he's a bit flaky in the head sometimes. He makes very poor decisions. Uh, he played gorgeous for a half century in the first innings under serious pressure he was that if he'd have made two failures he might have lost his test place uh, forever. And, and then what does he do after playing him brilliantly under pressure? As soon as the spinner comes on, he doesn't give himself time to play a few overs, no. He tries to smack him into the stands and hold out, hits straight up in there. That's poor thinking, that's nothing to do with his technique or his ability. He's so gifted, but uh, if you don't use what's between the ears, it's no good having great talent.
1: Right, a lot of people used what's there between their ears to send a few questions. We'll take four today and most of them are about Ashes. First one was sent by Sunal Khandelwal from United States. He says, Jeffrey, what does it take for a team like Australia to have that bounce-back ability and who should credit? Who should the credit go to if they do so consistently in test matches?
0: Well, first of all, the players, they're the ones that have to go out in the middle and bat and bowl. They have to look at their dismissals, the edge busting. Watch carefully how they played the swing and cut and it wasn't pretty. Be honest with themselves, that's what they have to do. Put their hands up and say, not good enough, I need to do better. Only then can they improve and have a chance of winning. The coach has to earn his salary. When a team is winning, he doesn't need to say anything or do anything. When the team loses, this is where his management skills come in, which in my opinion is what he should be called a manager, not a coach. If the backroom staff and players keep telling themselves that they were not lucky and that everything will be all right at Trent Bridge and uh, they keep reminding themselves, well, OK, we came back from Cardiff and won at Lord's and so we're bound to come back from here and win at Trent Bridge. Well, I'm not sure that you will. If you don't do some serious thinking and talking, then you'll lose again. But if you do that thinking, that talking, put your hand up, be honest, know you can do better, make sure you try and do better, then you have a good chance. Batsmen put a team in a position to win. And the Australian batsmen failed twice at edge basting. They failed miserably. But bowlers win matches by taking 20 wickets. And also, Australia only had two of the four bowlers firing. That's 50%. That's not good enough. Mitchell Johnson tried his heart out all the time. Kept running in. He needs pace and bounce. He's not a seamer, but he kept giving it everything. And he did get some success, two magic balls that got Johnny Best, to out, and Ben Stokes. Nathan Lyon, he bowled his best. But Mitchell Stark was all over the place. He couldn't hit the stumps in the first innings. There were wide la- on the offside, the leg side, over the heads wide. He couldn't reach some of them when he had the new ball. Josh Hazlewood, too, was expensive with the new ball. I think for him, it was a question of striving for wickets. Because the Australia's batsmen had got out for such a low, poor score, he thought, well, we've got to get wickets, I'm striving. And Clark, he, he was so poor, he was going for five and over on that pitch, which is really poor. And you could see how Clark had lost confidence on the second day. Clark kept him out of the attack for three hours. Three hours, and he's his third bowler. He should bowl, should Hazelwood, like Glenn McGrath. Line and length in the corridor of uncertainty. He's a very tall man, I think he's six four with a high action. So he's awkward to play, he's got enough pace and he should show some patience and discipline to be a mean bowler like Glenn McGrath. Seal up one end, cut the runs down and wickets will come. But hey, you ask me a question, I'm telling me. I want England to win.
1: <laughs> Let's take the second question then, since it's on mainly about England. Hirsch sent it from Canada. England once again bounced back after an embarrassing loss at Lord's. What surprised you the most about England from this performance at Edgbaston? And with James Anderson ruled out for Trenbridge, do you think Australia can bounce back from this loss and win?
0: Wow, there's a lot of questions there. <clears throat> well, two things stuck out for me. One was the pitch. Most people on the morning that Alistair Cook and Michael Clarke up, both of them said they would have batted. Emphatically, they did. I thought, wow. And when they came in, a lot of ex-players, Michael Warner I was with, Simon Hughes played for Middlesex, Mark Nicholas, captain of Hampshire. I worked with these people. I worked on BBC with people. They were saying, oh, yeah, bat first. I said, oh, right. This was first morning. Not said afterwards. I'm usually a bat first man if the pitch is good. Because in the test matches over the years, There's wear and tear on the fourth and fifth days, which allows the ball to turn a bit. There's footholds for the spinners to work with. Maybe the pitch has got a bit worn and it goes up and down a bit, so that's harder for batsmen. And then there's scoreboard pressure if you're chasing a big total fourth innings. But, and this is the but, England can't bowl Australia out with spin. Moin Ali is certainly not good enough. He's a batsman who bowls a bit, love his batting, Bowling, he can't bowl two balls in the same spot. And Root, just give over. He's just a round-arm occasional bowler, wonderful batsman. So England are never going to bowl people out with spin. If they are, you've got to play awful. Then you've got a point where you talk about fourth and fifth day where matches hardly go into the fourth day. And most three-quarters of test matches are finishing in four days, so never mind the fifth day, forget that. And then we had the conditions at Edgbaston. They were overcast, fresh. There was a good covering of dry grass on it. And I'm thinking, well, poor England's match winners. If England are going to win who? The seam bowlers, Anderson and Broad, have 700 test wickets between them. Now, whoever plays a third seamer, he'll be OK. It turned out to be Finn, He bowled beautifully. But Anderson and Broad are serious match winners. Take them out of the equation. Don't give Anderson, who's in wonderful bowling conditions for England, the opportunity to bowl at you. With a juke ball in England, he'll destroy you. He's one of the best three fast-medium bowlers, in, in bowlers England have ever had in their history. So I'm looking at that, and I'm not agreeing with everybody, because why? As an opening batsman for 25 years, I always knew when I wanted to bat on a pitch, and when I thought it was dodgy. And I looked at that, with Anderson on the other side and broad, the overcast conditions, the pitch with a covering of dry grass, I thought, hmm, I think I might like to bat second here and fourth. When it's dried out, spinners aren't going to worry me of England. And then I was surprised by Australia's batting. They batted so badly, they were like lemons running to fall over a cliff. I think Australia batted first, thinking, same again like Lords, real cocky, we'll butcher England's bowling and we'll get 500 and plenty, post a big total, tire out England in the field, then destroy their batsmen when they're tired like we did at Lords. Oh yeah. And so they started off playing shots, indiscriminate shots, they didn't assess the pitch at all. Swing and seam. As it started, they needed to adapt, not play like Lords. They needed to have good defense, leave every ball they didn't have to play, protect the stumps, stay in, fight, graft against the new ball. Their thinking process was wrong. They should have accepted it was a different pitch to Lords, a different day to Lords. It was a sunny and blue sky at Lords, and they should have batted differently. They weren't smart, and they weren't smart enough to work it out. Even in the second innings, they learnt nothing from the first innings. They were just as bad. Those were the two things, the pitch and the Australian batting, that surprised me more than anything. I thought they got more nous about them than that. And can Australia bounce back with Anderson injured, With or without Jimmy. Of course they can bounce back, because it's a two-horse race And in a two-horse race, ask anybody in racing terms, a lot can happen. But so far, I've been unimpressed, even amazed with Australia's inability to bat at Cardiff when the ball went up and down and a little bit sideways, and Edgbaston when it went a lot through the air sideways and off the deck sideways. Against the moving ball, they've been so poor, I've been amazed. They batted so well at Lords because they had a benign pitch, flat, dry, blue sky, sunshine, just like home in Australia. But cricket's about being able to adapt to to situations.
1: Alright, let's talk about the series as well and not just the two teams. Sugosh Diwanji from United States says, In the current Ashes series, both the sides are alternating between awesome and awful to win as the series is well fought, but matches are turning out to be one-sided. What do you think is the reason behind this?
0: I believe that the the batting, it's a lack of technique in batting. And and I think that comes about through lots of one-day cricket. You have so much one-day cricket, people have to play shots and hit the ball, etc. That I think it gets into the head of batsmen. And also, the pitchers in England now, the pitchers around the world, they're so flat. We used to talk about English cricket. Coming to England like a finishing school when we played on uncovered pitches, you get a green top where it seemed, you get a a very good batting pitch, then you get a dry surface that turned right early on. Then it would rain on the pitch sometimes and it'd be just a slow pudding. So you're looking for the short ball to cut and pull. But then as the sun came out, it'd get tacky and the spinners would make it turn square and boy. There were all sorts of things. And you learn to have a very rounded way of playing. Now, I think if the ball does anything, I think that batsmen are all at sea. You look at Australia in, in two innings, as we pathetic at Edge there was no green grass, no moisture, just dry grass. It swung through the air and it seemed because it was overcast. And when, and when the ball swings, you've got to allow it to come to you. You've got to play it late, you've got to see it early but wait and wait for it and play it late because where it starts is not where it's going to get to you. It could start outside off stump, then it swings in, so you've got to wait, wait, let it swing, play it late under your nose. I'm one of the, I suppose, few people still alive that played on uncovered pitches. And I thought it was a great thing to make bowlers and batsmen think more about technique and about how to play and how to think for yourself and adapt your batting or adapt your bowling to different conditions. And, you know, when it, when it was moving around, Esbash, you needed to have that good defensive technique to stay in, as I've told you about. Be very careful of your shot selection. And um, when at Lords, once you got in, you could play shots galore. You were on top of the bowling because it did nothing. And then you see. Today in county cricket, there's very few fast bowlers around in the world, so there's nobody around in English county cricket. We used to play going back, and I don't like to look at things with rosy spectacles, but here I'm trying to give you an example. There was a period in English cricket throughout the 70s. There was Richard Hadley and Rice at Notts. There was Wayne Daniel, fast bowler at Middlesex. There was Sylvester Clark at Surrey. There was Andy Roberts, Malcolm Marshall, both played for Hampshire. There was Joel Garner for uh, Somerset. There was Michael Holding played at Derbyshire. Colin Croft played at Lancashire. I could go through Ambrose played at Northampton. I could go through lots of these counties who had some truly great players. Now that's not possible. Every country plays that much international cricket. Test match one day, 2020, because they want the money from television. And they signed the players up so they're not allowed to go and tire themselves out playing county cricket so county cricket is, is a lesser game and it's therefore not as good a breeding ground for english players so when our players played at lords and mitchell johnson bowled very fast they were blown away by his fast bowling there are two long hard days in the field bit of tiredness legs got heavy mind were weary Poor shots came all over the place. The shot selection was appalling. And I can understand why. That's not blame. There's nobody to play against of the quality of Mitchell Johnson. Where do you play in county cricket? Our English top players, our top bowlers hardly ever play for the counties. Our top batsmen hardly ever play. There's that much cricket. They have to have time off and rest between international cricket so our county cricket game is poorer for being without its very best english players and the very best world class players as it used to be it's a fact that the game has changed the world game county cricket has changed that's not me being through him. means me stating a fact and so when they come up against fast bowling wow it's five, six, seven miles an hour faster than anybody they've ever faced. And when they got it round the rear roll, when it jumped at them, when it was a bit faster, they got all at sea and played badly. And it comes down to the batting technique. That's why you're seeing collapses by various sides. That's why you're seeing test matches finish in three and four days. Look, it's a wonderful spectacle, Test cricket. But... You asked me the question, it's about batting technique.
1: Well, you spoke about matches finishing in 3-4 days, which is what the fourth question is about. Omar from Switzerland says, Jeffrey, during the past few years we have seen that test matches end with result before the fifth day, like in the ongoing Ashes. So what is your take on this? Could it be the influence of T20s where big hitting is required by the batsmen, who are still in this mode for the test version, thereby giving the bowlers the edge in tests? Or would you think it is due to the review system which helps the bowlers pick more wickets?
0: I think the review system has helped a little bit, yes. You get more LBWs now. People used to play forward and didn't even play at the ball, did they? they used to hide the bat behind the pad, which is awful, really, way to play. And uh, they get away with the umpire saying, well, I'm not sure what it would have hit the stones. But now we've got the review system in international cricket. There's a lot more people giving out LBW, and that's good. But it's not that. that that's a small amount. Uh, I think it's to do with kids growing up playing so much one day cricket 2020 from a very early age. So they have to, and I say have to, play shots from an early age. It becomes natural and normal, and part of their batting. So when they grow up with this way of batting it, it's very much ingrained in them and when they practice they they practice uh, adventurous shots in the nets so that they can play it in in matches in one day cricket and it becomes part of their sight to play it in test matches it's very difficult to stop oneself and i understand it i'm not critical of it i just understand how difficult it is to keep playing lots of one day cricket all your life and then stop in a test match and i understand why these youngsters have a problem and they make a a poor shot it's a, it's a product of the youngsters of today it makes test cricket marvelously interesting exciting with plenty of drama it gets results i think i like it and i enjoy test match cricket in fact i think test match cricket today it's far better than when I had to play in the 60s. When I started then, there were a lot of drawn test matches. And you've got to remember that cricket has always mirrored the times it was played in, and, and now it's played in. And today, people expect everything instantly. We expect it immediately. We have mobile phones. We have computer, computers. We talk to each other on Skype. There's Twitter and Facebook. We live in a much faster world, that is a fact. I didn't make it up. And whether that means it is better, ah, well that's a different matter. That's up for discussion and it's how you personally feel about. I don't necessarily think it's better, it's the way of the world. And the public, because everything they get instantly and they, they want it faster and get it faster, they want cricket faster. They need to expect everything to be fast now, don't want to wait. And that is why 2020 has taken off. You come in, you see three hours fast and furious action, instant revolt, all go home happy. And I say, I didn't say it is the best cricket, but it has a part to play and it affects how our young cricketers bat. For some time now, I have seen the way Test Match Cricket is going. And I've been saying for a long time that having four-day test matches is the best. All you have to do is improve the over rates. If you think about it, five days, 90 overs, if you can get 90 overs in five days, is 450 overs. You hardly see a five-day test but today they are bowling at 13 and a half overs an hour with interminable drinks breaks captains can't make up their minds about field places they talk to the bowlers forever then the bowlers practice two or three balls to mid-off or mid-on before he actually bowls a ball all i'll tell you this is in the 70s 17 overs an hour in test cricket was the norm in the 50s it was 18 to 20 overs an hour and the administrators do nothing about it. We now give them an extra half hour from six hours to six and a half hours to try and get the 90 overs in. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, they can't even bowl 90 overs in six and a half hours. All I'd say is insist on 17 overs an hour. You can still have your six and a half hour day, which is 110 overs in a day. Four days is 440 overs. If you have five at 90 now, it's only for 4.50. So it's easy to have four-day test matches without changing anything in the structure of the game. Our test match cricket over the last number of years has been a fine product. Absolutely better than when I played in the 60s. I love watching it. But one-day cricket has had such an effect to make it a better product with wickets going down, more runs scored per ball. And it could be an even better spectacle if you had four-day cricket and 110 overs.
1: All right, that brings us to the end of this episode of Bowler Boys And Jeffrey Boycott will join us again in two weeks from now to take more and more questions. There are lots of other cricket happening as well. The New Zealand team is in Africa to play Zimbabwe and South Africa. India, The Indian team has arrived in Sri Lanka. So send in your questions about anything that's to do with cricket and we'll take them in two weeks from now. Until then, goodbye and good luck. You are listening to ESPN Crick Info.